I had to shake him on my last case, big O don't play. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Musky Hunks Podcast. I'm one of your four hosts this evening, Ryan Reed. And before we get into the other hunks that are on the line tonight, we need to give a giant shout out to the Swink family, Mr. Donnie Swink. We just want to send you a super congratulations on newborn baby. As of what, what was it, nine o'clock this morning, some, somewhere around there? Like nine, almost 10. Almost 10 a.m. this morning. So it's about down- 24 hours in labor. So, so shout out to Chelsea Swink exactly shout out mostly chelsea while donnie sat there and texted all of us with his feet (laughs) up on the bed (laughs) so super pumped for the swings we just had to start off with that so we've got three other hunks on the line tonight and we're going to start with our northern correspondent mr nick fiesler currently in a blizzard (laughs) getting snowed on as always we got like a foot of snow today well, good evening, sir. Good to have you. Good evening. We also have Mr. Tom Venata. I'm not going to say anything about Crocs. Yellow. That's new. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, because you know I have ammo on you now. Now I can come at you for your uh, <clears throat> under under shoe footwear of choice. I wear goofy socks, man. I'm proud of it. <laughs> I don't I don't hide it like you in, in the Crocs. <clears throat> I don't wear them. I don't even know what socks are. All right, and we also have Mr. Owen Seaman and Big O's Bucktails. Good evening. What's up, everybody? Good evening. All right, good to have you boys here. We have another special guest tonight. This one we are super excited about. So I'm going to kick it over to Owen and let you introduce our guest. All right, thanks. Thank you. Uh, This one I've really been looking forward to because uh, we have with us someone who I, you know, as a, an amateur bait builder that I am that, you know, very amateur, uh, I've, I've followed this guy on Instagram now for probably five plus years. Um, I would say, you know, going back to, you know, and, and he's been, you know, kind of prototyping and building different baits. His name is Brad Cutmus and he is joining us from Illinois here tonight. So Brad, please say hello to everybody. Hello. Very glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And for those who don't know, you know, on I'm I don't really advertise my bucktail business or it's not I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on anything like that. I like my only social media presence is on on, you know, Instagram and that's limited as it is. So but, you know, on Instagram through, I don't know, some type of musky algorithm, I ended up following you years ago. It's got to be four or five years ago now. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it was like right when I started building bucktails and I had questions for you and, and you you had all kinds of answers for me. And dude, I, I've been, just been fascinated by watching your progression in uh, building baits. And when I say building baits, for anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, the 3D, it's all 3D printing. So... Um, you know, I want to start by, you know, kind of how did you get into fishing? Cause I know you fish, you fish for everything. Like you fish for grass carp, you fly fish. Yep. I mean, you're, you're, 
you're kind of the the modern day renaissance man in a lot of ways <laughs> uh so i mean we got a lot of lot to talk about but i i guess first how did you get started fishing was it family like yeah, your dad yeah. fish grandfather grandfather yeah yeah so um i grew up on this lake it was called little swan lake and you know it was just out in the middle of nowhere and the only thing we had to do was like chase frogs and go fishing on this lake. And my dad had this nitro boat. So he'd always take us out there, like, you know, skiing. And when you say little, boat. when you say little, little lake, how small? A little Swan Lake. I think it was like 500 acres. Okay. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too big, but you know, big enough to water ski or whatever. And it was stocked with just like walleye, crappie and, you know, bass. And, but we kind of just like lived off that lake because we ate a lot of fish, you know, we just, kind of depended on that lake for some meals um, and uh, kind of just got into it. Um, and then we ended up moving out of there and, you know, just the passion of fishing stuck with me the whole time. Um, lure building really didn't start for me and kick off until, you know, I got into fly fishing because, you know, we, we took this trip to you know Dakota and Wyoming and I was fly nice. fishing for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And they, my parents stopped at this Cabela's and they got me this little like $75 uh, kit you can tie flies with. And it just had some basic elk hair and whatever, like caddis combos and stuff. And, you know, I started fly, uh, tying those up and using them. And of course, you know, there's no trout around where I live. It's just like bass and panfish and all this stuff. So I'm tying up these like trout flies thinking I'm going to go hit up these muddy creeks and you know, match the hatch and these blue gear are going to be like, you know, just like trout. And I, I kind of took it a little bit too far and, you know, I didn't have much luck fishing. And so I, with those type of flies, so I started getting into like streamers and catching smallmouth and, okay. uh, you know, just found my groove really with it. And, um, after, you know, I ran out of supplies on that kit, uh, my uncle kind of came in and he, he had this just really nice desk set up and he had all these supplies in there and he gave it to me and, lasted me like 10 years so I, I fly fished really mainly from like age 12 to like almost 30 I'm 36 oh, wow yeah I didn't get in the musky fishing um a little bit after 30 years old actually well that that kind of leads me to the next question which is didn't even how know did you get 30. into musky fishing and you're in your you know you're fishing in illinois so you're central illinois were, there were not muskies in the lake that you on little swan lake no, no muskies. There was a muskie lake close by um, Argyle, which is a really small lake. Um, and they lose a lot of fish in that lake, possibly to, you know, rain and going over the dam. But there's still some, I've seen some really nice fish surveyed and caught out of that lake. But, you know, of course, at that time, I did learn about that. And they were stocking muskies in there since the 80s. So definitely muskie in that lake. Um, and uh, so, yeah, no muskie fishing. Didn't even know Illinois had muskie or pike then may you know mostly did a lot of carp bass not much panfish man i wasn't really into like eating fish i was really just into catch and release mostly like no matter what it was I, you know i didn't like taking fish home there was a mo there was like maybe a two-year period we catch catfish down the river and take them home and eat them but uh, for the most part it was just you know make some lures you know the first lure i actually made was this little uh wooden popper and i used like a hand knife just to carve it out it was like a stick and then uh, for paint, I use that fabric paint they use on like ugly sweaters. I, I use that to like paint that lure and just like twist it on these eyelets and, uh, didn't pan out. So I was a little discouraged on like wooden baits. It did not that. catch a fish. Yeah. It didn't do, didn't, didn't catch anything. Um, <laughs> a little discouraged on the wooden baits. So I stuck with the fly time for a long time and 
you know, um, when I got out of college and started working somewhere in a corporation, we had these 3D printers in engineering. And, you know, I held off for like 10 years, like slipping some guy a file and be like, hey, can you print me this? Like, because, <laughs> like, you know, all the commercial patents um, kind of had a, the hold on 3D printing at the time. So you couldn't buy the home printers, really. They, they just weren't existing. And then when those really when those patents went out, you started seeing them like more, you know, for home use. And as soon as I saw Perusa, you know, uh, printers, I heard they're just like right out of the box, ready to go. I don't have to really configure or mod it. And I just needed a workhorse. And so I invested and got one of those. And I just haven't stopped since. <laughs> it's been an ongoing yeah, I mean, every you, day. Well, what year did you, that happen that the, the three printers kind of went public? I feel like I was kind of like just getting out of high school right when that was going down. Because we weren't allowed yeah. to have them at our high school. And... Yeah, I don't know the exact year. Because um, there might have been some like, you know, open source home projects for 3D printing. Um, so, yeah, it, it probably was going for years before I got on board with it, really. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, I remember when I started, there was some online articles on 3D printed doers. And it was, just, you know, some cool stuff that I saw that kind of motivated me. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Ryan. Ryan, so you, you have your hand up. We're doing a hand up thing tonight still. Yeah. <laughs> At least I am. Um, so I, I just have a question about this. So I'm, I, I, uh, I have a background in information technology. That's what I do for a living, but okay. it's not so much on the printing side. Uh, my question is like for home use, like that printer, what is that? What does that run? I mean, are you comfortable talking about pricing on that stuff? Cause I, I'm curious, like for, for a solid 3d printer, like what you have, you know, what does that cost somebody? Well, yeah. So the kit's like seven fifty, and you got to build it. It takes like eight hours probably to build. And Holy cow. See, I, I I'd be, turned off by that i would be like i'd be like i mean i have to get all these things right just to be able to get the machine to do something i can't Holy even shit. assemble like an ikea coffee table. i know <laughs> like, I, I, oh man no luckily you know whoever designed the instruction around that really made it easy because it, it's really just i don't know if you remember those like old toys we used to have like not connects Maybe what's connects? I don't know. They're just like those crazy Ferris wheel things they had you build, and it was just insane instruction. It's a lot. It's gotten a lot better since then. And if you can build <laughs> one of those as a kid, you could probably build a three D printer. That's what the the two I've had put together are both like super modular, like pretty straightforward. And yeah. Not. Yeah, mine was just good. mine. The only thing I upgraded on mine was the bearings because you know I heard the the bearings on the stock cruises would like groove the rods. Okay. And, and so I, I upgraded those to, to some like really expensive bearings and I didn't really notice a difference, but I haven't really inspected my rods to see if they're, you know, terribly worn. Yeah. I kind of just run them to failure really. Cause if you sit there and just like pay attention to every little weird noise that printer makes, you're going to oh, sit yeah. there and break it apart. And then by like an hour in the whole thing's just laid out and then you created way more problems than yeah. What was that? All right. So, so the lawyer in me has to jump in here because I feel like we just jumped from point A to point D very quickly. In that, in that, <laughs> we went that from happen. you, we went you, we went from you were carving 
carving a wooden lure and painting it with like ugly sweater paint <laughs> is to configure it, taking eight printer. hours to configure a, a 3d printer so yeah. let's okay. let's say let's pump the brakes a little bit and now say start right, that. okay how, how did you get from how like so when you're when you're first building baits i mean first how did you get into muskies you know before, yeah, before yeah. we can get into 3d printing well it's funny because when i moved here to springfield um to kind of start my career going I was bass fishing this musky lake and bass fishing it extensively, just putting crazy hours on this lake bass fishing. And probably for seven years, I did this in a kayak, never once saw a musky, never once hooked up, never once saw even a surface porpoise, nothing. And, and so, you know, I, if I, maybe if I would have seen one hook or if I would have hooked up, I would have gotten the bug right there and just been like, okay, it's, this is, this is a lot of fun. But just like me not seeing them out there, I was just like, you know, Maybe they're just not in this lake or maybe they're just too hard to catch. You know, I'm having fun bass fishing in my kayak. And then I kind of wanted to step it up with uh, pike for some reason. There was this lake nearby that had northern pike in it. And I heard they're a little easier to catch than muskie. And, you know, I'm like, I want to catch one on a, fly, on a fly rod. And so I was sitting there tying pike flies and going on this lake and trying to catch pike for like a few months, probably a half a year. Was this all kayak stuff back yeah. then? Back then, yeah, yeah. This is still kayak, you know, in my kayaks. I've you know, I've been doing that since two thousand nine. Really, the kayak fishing. Before that, I just kind of wade rivers, or I didn't really bank fish. I'd really just wade rivers, and then if an opportunity came, I'd go lake fish. But really, lake fishing wasn't a thing I did until I got the kayak. And so yeah, so fishing for for pike, not having any luck. I go on YouTube and I'm looking up some advice on this lake because there's there's muskie on this lake too. And so when I'm Googling how to catch pike on this lake or whatever, or looking just for videos on some tips, I see this guy's channel. Um, and I became really good friends with him. His name is Dave Whitwood. Um, he had this channel on the wood of musky fishing just exclusively on this lake. And I'm just sitting there watching all these videos and he's catching, you know, numbers like, you know, two to three fish a day, top waters, whatever. I mean, it just seems like he had them really dialed in and, I didn't, I didn't want to ask him anything about muskies, you know, cause you know, I, I kind of figured I know how fishermen are. So I'm not going to sit there and ask him about, you know, get on him about, you know, musky tips on his lake. But I was like, Hey, you ever caught any pike on this other, on this lake before or anything like that? And he's like, Nope, don't fish for pike. He's like, well, if you want to go musky fishing, <laughs> he's like, if you want to go musky fishing, come jump in my boat tomorrow at like 8am or 7am or something. And I did. And we went out and believe it or not. And this is, this is on YouTube. And I think I've shared it with some of you. Mm-hmm. my first time fishing with dave we call 11 muskie and and just from again 7 a.m till noon i caught six he caught five and you know i caught i caught um two of them were back to back so i you know cast musky cast musky and i couldn't really appreciate how like rare that was at that time and it was just like never would probably experience that again you remember <laughs> i feel, what you I feel like right now what's that you remember what you were using? Uh, I was using a lure I didn't even make. It was a little black twister tail with a blue jig head, and it was like a two ounce. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, and I was just pulling. Was that, that fly fishing? No, no. We we went out there, and he was throwing like rattle traps and glide baits because like the rattle trap bite at ice sounds pretty hot around this area. Not just on this lake, but on like quite a few lakes, people are using rattle traps like crazy right on ice out. And so that's, we threw a lot of those chatterbaits, 
Um, and that little twister jig. It's funny. After that day, we had 11 fish. I never fished that lure again. Never threw it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> we would go back out there like the same time of year, same conditions. And I just like always still throw like, you know, lures I've made now, obviously. Right. Maybe if I molded the, the twister tail and, you know, poured the jig head, I'd probably fish it or something. Huh. So that, so that was your first day musky fishing? Uh, I caught one musky before that in a, in my kayak on a jawbreaker spoon, but it was like that big. And I was still really excited about it. I was sitting there hanging out with that little guy, you know, in the water for a little bit. And before I let him go, I was really excited um, just on that little musky. But yeah, it was my first time actually targeting musky was um, fishing with Dave. That's a pretty good first day. It's yeah. a little better than yeah. my first day musky fishing. Yeah, right. Yeah. He told me not to expect that anymore because, I mean, we've, we fished almost like every Sunday since then. If you were smart, you would have just hung it up right there and yeah. said I had like a six fish day. The I, I peaked. We're good. It's time to go for like tuna or something. <laughs> I just want to. Yeah. I just want to point out that it took me like four years to catch a muskie. So, <laughs> well, I can't you know credit anybody really, but yeah, you know, my buddy Dave for showing me the ropes there, and he's pretty much you know showed me the ropes and saying all the area lakes he's taken me to he's really shown me like it just takes time you got to put in those hours because before that i you know i fish like half days after work or whatever and i consider that like a you know a decent day of fishing and then i go fishing with dave and i can't i can't hardly even stand by the time he's ready to hang it up and you know, we're both sitting there just holding our lower backs trying to get the boat back on the trailer and I, it, it just totally different experience for me and i was all about it at that time because you know i was uh you know, no kids, no life, um, just working. Um, it's just a good escape and good way to not like spend a lot of money and just, you know, just have a decent time out on the water and not really care about much. Cause we don't, you know, yeah, we don't catch fish a lot. I mean, we have more days that we don't even see them or catch them than we do, but it's pretty amazing. I mean, we don't, we don't even run into a lot of musky guys around our area. You'd think we'd hook up maybe a little bit more than we do. Cause especially this last year was really brutal for us. Uh, I think I got like 15 musky last year. And that first year I fished with Dave, I was like, like almost 40. I was, I was going to ask you how many, because it, you know, you, you seem to contact a good number of fish and, you know, following yeah. you on Instagram, you know, you, and, and they seem to be, you caught, you seem to contact a good number of, you know, you know, a good fish too. You know, these aren't yeah. like, you know, little dinky muskies. You've got some nice, some really good, good size muskies there. And it's really, you know, that's kind of the combination of you're in a kayak, almost always, uh, I'm assuming now always fishing your own baits that you have oh, yeah. made. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and to be putting fish in your, in the boat, I, I, again, that's just, I'm in awe of that. So we'll, yeah. we'll get yeah. into that because I, that my next real question is, is then, how did you decide, okay, I'm going to switch to 3d printing and how can I, and how can I make a, and what was your first attempt at 3d printing a musky bait? Um, first attempt, actually, I actually have it right. I know nobody can see us on the, on the screen, but it was like a glide bait and it was this funky looking thing. And I didn't really spend a whole lot of time modeling it. Um, kind of just wanted to, you know, okay. test it out to see how well the hardware fit in it. Cause my, my plan was just to take it out in the parking lot and tie a rope to the eyelet and attach it to my truck and see how strong it was. But I was like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it in the water and see if it walks. And it did. And I was like, okay, 
So this is a complete <laughs> something a complete, to this. <laughs> a complete noob question, but I've when you're three D printing a bait, a bait, do you choose the material that you are making it out of? Meaning more dense, more buoyant, or is it just the same product? Like if I wanted to three D print a house, it would be the same thing that you were three D printing that lure with. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends for me. So if it's a design, because it takes me a few prints to get something right, um, usually. So, you Obviously. know, I'll, yeah, I'll print with like a, they say it's biodegradable. You know, I'm sure there's still microplastics dissolved somewhere, but it's PLA. Um, it's, it's, easy, it's easily, more easily recyclable than like PTAG and ABS and some of those other plastics that people use. So I use that for like my rough prototypes, alphas, whatever you want to call them. And um, as I start to get to more finished baits where I need to test like strength and durability, I'll print with another material, which is like PTEG. It's what they use for like plastic bottles. And I can take it a step further and go even stronger and go with, um, you know, ABS uh, is a popular one, but you have to heat up your heat bed on your printer super hot um to, to print with that material and then even then it warps a lot and you know so what, what's the benefit of that like why would anyone do that if it warps a lot and it, you know like what's the benefit um if you were to get a piece that didn't warp on you off the printer because i mean like right off the printer warping not like you know in the water after a year warping like some of these right. prints. i've had a few do it to me i don't think it's because they're in the water i think i test some lures before I clear coat them. So water probably gets in them and then I'll clear coat them and then something will pop out the side and I'm thinking there's some moisture or something going on in there. But anyway, um, where was I? Oh, the different plastics. Yeah. So the ABS, you know, so I would print with a, with like ABS if I was selling, I feel like lures because it's, it's again, stronger. Um, it's going to withstand heat better. Um, really it's all you can acetone smooth it so you get these print lines you can actually vaporize the print lines with acetone you can make this little chamber where you just set up your prints and literally like in maybe like an hour or two you pull them out and they, they're glossy they're just smooth um i bought this um, sealer that i'm going to be trying here soon that kind of does the same thing as acetone does to abs but it's going to do it to the p tag that i'm using and it's supposed to smooth it out and seal and actually because the, the seal coats I've been using on these all along weren't actually sealing anything. It was just sitting on the surface of the plastic and you could chip it off. I found an actual sealer now that's going to actually get into, this is what it claims. I, I got to test it. Okay. Uh, it, all right. It says it's actually going to stick to it. So it's going to be proper for three printed parts. So I still have a lot of testing to do on um, many components on these um, prints. So those other ones are essentially just covering that surface area is what was holding it in place yeah yeah i know I've, I've tried all kinds of different top coats the sealers and most of them don't work right. in the sense that they're actually holding on to the bait you can usually just i know at one point you had been using uh the same thing that i i, I was using that what's the, the kbs, KBS yeah. diamond yeah I, you know my oldest lure right here you know again listeners can't see this um the coat's beautiful. And I only put one layer of KBS on this and it was fresh out of the jar KBS too. It was like, right. As I popped it open, I dipped this in 
And these, these, and I fished this lure for three years. I mean, you, you can start to see the 3D print on this, obviously, but the clear coat up here is just not even past the paint. So I, I, I think it's good. It's just, it's, it's hard to deal with. And it's oh yeah. It's, it's a, it's a gigantic pain in the ass to like, to nope. just to manage. Yeah. I mean, I'm dealing with it with my blades and it's, it's, uh, it just makes the entire process almost not fun. It's like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Ventilations. Um, you've got to have it with that stuff. You oh know, yeah. As, as if like, you know, you use like the true coat. Um, really that's what I've switched to recently. There's really no odor to it. Um, Can you order that? The last time I looked at, looked, tried to buy it. You couldn't buy it. You know, it was big, out. the big look, I, you know, I just checked last week and it looked like the, the gallon, I think it is batches you can do, but not the smaller, whatever he's got, like the, the large batch. I think you can still buy, but he did just post on his um, Instagram. I think today or yesterday, he's getting more on like two, four. So maybe tomorrow. What's the viscosity of that compared to uh, the KBS stuff? Uh, it's pretty similar. Uh, Cause you know, I, I just, some of the new lures that I I've been working on, you know, I first tested it on this rattle trap right here and this was you know, sealed with KBS and then I painted it and then I put the true coat on it. Um, it went on pretty, pretty thin and for rattle traps, I like it to go on kind of thin because you need a sharp edge on the head, at least on some. Oh, so wait, you put, you put the KBS down first like, I did. Like, to seal it, the bait. Before I found this up, this other stuff, it's called XTC 3d. Um, and it sets in four hours, which is amazing i can paint it on in four hours i could you know put the seal coat on and in four hours i can paint it what about alumalite uv um i have it it's not it's a knockoff brand but i haven't i haven't tried it yet i have i have okay. I just got my uv panels and i haven't set it up yet so that's that's another one thing i wanted to ask about whether you had tried that because i i'm thinking with with the blades you know, I'm having a lot of trouble with, you know, all, all kinds of dripping and, you know, trying to, I'm turning them, you know, so to, to avoid the dripping now, but it's still, it's just like an absolute pain in the ass. If there's some other way to, to like quick cure it, I'd be right. very interested in that because I'm really not crazy about how long KBS, I mean, KBS to get like a real solid cure, you're looking like three to four or five days. You know, it, even longer than that sometimes yeah. I, I found because um, I was trying to get some, some glide baits out for somebody and it was before Christmas and I shipped it anyway with the KBS kind of still curing and, and it was already going on like four days and I could yeah. still, and it was still like, you know, the odor was real bad and I, I put it in the box. So it wasn't touching the sides of the box when I shipped it, but I know that like had to have stunk up that male guy's <laughs> back end of his truck. Um, but I got there and I guess it worked out. So. And if those things, if those things would have like even touched in there, yeah, like they just become one million percent inseparable. <laughs> like, I mean, that stuff. It 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 really is. It's it's kind it, of it's frightening tough. once it really sets. But I mean, like some of my baits that I've dipped in KBS and I haven't touched in like a year, you can't almost break the the stuff out of the eyelets, and like it's it's so rock hard on there. It's insane. Oh yeah. Like, what the hell is this stuff? You can't like buy it certain places. It's like gassing out mailman. It's oh, oh, the, K, the KBS. Like what is this? KBS I don't diamond. Even... My wife, my wife knows when I'm when I'm clear coating stuff, and and like I 100 need better ventilation in my in my shop yeah, because once, it's not. I good. once went to open a pint of it and spilled it all over myself. Uh, oh, <laughs> that explains a lot. Completely hey. covered. 
can I ask a serious question about this epoxy? Yes. Because when I was making baits, I was doing it El Cheapo, like as cheap as I possibly could. And the epoxy I was getting, I was getting the, uh, like the seven minute or whatever it is. Like I'm looking over across my room. I have like two cans of JB Weld. JB Weld. From like Lowe's. And there was like two other brands that somebody recommended to me. And I can't remember what it was, but what is like in comparison, like if you go to the store and you just buy like a package of JB Weld with the two (laughs) resin, like the bottles in it, compare that to to this stuff. Like, is it really that you're using? Like which JBL? Is it the plastic bonder? Are you using like that translucent yellow stuff? Or are you right? Using, There's like, a bunch of different types of epoxies, and it really—that's yeah. what you know. When we're talking about viscosity, you know that you can buy epoxies that are like, like almost like putty. I mean, they're they are putty, really, and yeah. you know that like that type of a of a viscosity as a. But what we're talking about with the KBS, and I've never used True Glide, but I assume it's similar. Um, it's it's basically just like a clear coat in it. Like it's a, you're just, I, I dip stuff. I dip, dip I like my baits. Yeah. I, I like the dip with the, so the, the true coat I've been using, I've been, so I've been brushing it on for the first time. And I hate doing that because I got to clean the brushes then. And, you know, it's just, it gets messy, but you know what? I've I just is- bought a pack of those. Um, I just bought a pack of like 500 of those metal tipped you know, just completely disposable brushes for that, for that reason. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I throw away a lot of brushes too. And I, um, I just like, I got some thinner recently for my brushes and it's, it's been working out, but, uh, what do you, what I like about the KBS is no brushing, right? You just dip it, hang it, dip it, hang it. Um, it's sometimes you'll set off a jar though. So you'll watch a $60 jar of KBS just go hard on you and there's nothing you can do about it. I got three jars just sitting in the back patio that just went off on me probably over $200 worth easily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I got one jar that's been sitting and sealed and looking good for over a year now. So it's just like something sets it off. I don't know what it is. I'll probably drip. I use those ball. I use those ball jars, but with the, with the rubber seal with kind of yeah. like, a, yep. like yeah. a, so that, that leads me to another question about this mystery stuff. So every time I see people using it, it's in a mason jar. So is some guy making this stuff in like mason jars and stuff shipping it out like moonshine. Like, what are you <laughs> the, putting it in? The the KBS. KBS. We're putting it in there. Yeah. Oh, okay. The KBS stuff cures by somehow with a reaction through the moisture in the air. And they recommend putting it in a jar. You so have, it has to seal to it. Like, yeah. Like, so I, I use, um, I use press and seal. A glad press and seal so i'll i'll take like a, a ball jar and then i'll put glad press and seal on it and then put the yeah you know the lid on so I've that, seen that and and it generally stays pretty good I've, I've i have i did have an issue with the first big can like the gallon can i bought because i poured some into a uh a ball jar and i just kept the other stuff in the regular can and, and I didn't seal it close enough and I ended up losing the entire thing, you know, cause it hardened up and you didn't wear gloves. I think I remember. No, oh man, those things are holy shit. Yeah. That was awful. Wear, <laughs> you gotta wear gloves with that stuff. Um, so Wait. the KBS actually dries from the outside in as opposed to some other epoxies that dry on the surface out. Ah. 
So that's kind of why a lot of people that use KBS don't do turners. Um, and then with other epoxies that take longer to. That makes sense. Right. That's why I'm not getting the best results with turners with the, with the turner that yeah, I have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not bad. It's, but it, I mean, it's not bad, but I can see where it's not, it's not doing exactly what I think it should be doing. Right. Right. Yeah. I tried turning KBS and it didn't work for me. Either. Huh. Well, all right. I'm going to have to try to get my hands on some true glide then. <laughs> so show, season, show season's only uh, 30 days away. <laughs> Clock's ticking. So if oh, we think a few they're steps. They're going to be KBS. Believe me, there's nothing wrong. Like KBS is like we were saying, yeah. it is like it's, rock hard. I mean, you are not losing anything with that. See, last year, the blades I made, I used the KBS spray which at first I was like, oh, that's cool. It's nice and easy, but man, that is shit. It is nothing compared to like the real deal, yeah. any type of real deal epoxy. Yeah, no. You definitely Just, don't get the volume and the thickness, you know? Now, do you run into yeah. issues? Like since, I mean, you're printing with like a plastic-like material. I mean, is, are there issues where a certain kind of clear coat would bond to wood, but you're not able to get it to bond to that material that, three printer yeah. uses or yeah so i tested um i've been testing all kinds of clear coats just on the plastic just seeing what actually adheres to it and um really really one of the best things that you can do yeah have you seen the resin printers like the yeah uh, yeah i have so, not well people are okay so it's basically um a, it's a 3d printer but it, it cures um layers of uv resin with leds hmm. basically and so it does layer by layer has like a pool of resin and then it you know cures with a laser more or less yeah but they're using okay. that so they... i i, I want to when we when we're using the term resin uh when you're talking about like an injection molded bait like a perch bait or something like that is not a wooden bait, but it is made out of a resin, right? Uh, and again, I have no technical background. So when, I'm, when I'm, I think using the term resin is probably a generic term that's not the correct term in the, in the grand scheme of things. But when you're thinking about these guys that are making, you know, perch baits and things like that, is that what you're talking about with resin as opposed to different type of resin? So those would be okay. like a two-part resin, kind of like the epoxy that Ryan show, showed. Right. But, but like uh, Brad was saying, it's like UV cure epoxy or resin, epoxy resin, whatever. And as it, it just like builds a layer at a time and then slowly pulls it out of a pool of that resin. Oh, people have so been. You end up with a, like the part looks like it's growing, but it's it's adding a layer at the top surface of that. Kind of yeah. like melt. It, well, I guess it's always kind of like melting it, right? Yeah, your layers are more solid, but people have been using that stuff and brushing it onto 3D printed parts and then UV oh. curing it for even okay. added strength to it. And that's something I thought was interesting. So I'm yet to try that. The only problem is that resin, it's tough to get rid of. Right. Uh, I think it off gases quite a bit too. Yeah. This shit gets expensive experimenting with this stuff, man. Like all these chemicals and whatnot, like it, this is not something cheap. So like, where did you, where did you say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to start building this musky bait and I'm, 
I'm just going to start building a, a, a bunch of other ones. You know what I mean? Like what was your, the first muskie bait and like, how did you get on to, I'm going to do more than that. Um, that probably is just more like the OCD in me and just have a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I really wanted just to make my own tackle box um, and just fish my lures exclusively really. Cause especially if you're putting that much time out on the water, you know, for muskie, it just adds that other element to it when you're out there using something that you created, um, you, whether Absolutely. if it's like a bucktail or even if you just like take a regular bait and you put a twister tail on the back of it, you know, you did your own thing that, that yeah, you know, anything that might trigger a fish. Yeah. And I just get into that stuff and I, I just, um, I, I have, you know, I'm really introverted. And so I like to create and express myself through like kind of art and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. that's really what i use a lot of the time um to do is just kind of use that energy towards me wait you mean musky fishermen aren't extroverts yeah <laughs> i mean we're not the cool guys in the room come on like <laughs> no no i i totally get that and, and i think i think you know the having an artistic outlet and when i use the, the term artistic you know a, yeah. in a in air quotes because i think some people's you don't have to be like super artistic to have an artistic outlet you can do things with your hands and you you don't have to build you know technologically 3d printed baits to like enjoy (laughs) it but if you but i mean to take it to that level is just another you know another obviously another level yeah i mean because i mean I, i guess you know i don't like running lathes and i don't really have the space you know i live in like a 1300 square foot townhouse um you know so i don't have a whole lot of space to like have a woodworking shop you know i just need software computer and a 3d printer and then some glue and yeah i mean how much how much space do you need for for your operation Uh, i mean i kind of have it just spread out you know across the whole place but one room i mean i just need probably just one room i could load it up with bulletin boards to hang all my stuff and just i already have my enclosures for my 3d printers and then you know, wherever you want to sit with your laptop and then uh, paint station. I got it. It's on this pool, like this little uh, foldable pool table that I had uh, just kind of set that up as my paint station and, and kind of put the ventilation going out my uh, dryer duct. Um, so I kind of like disconnect my dryer and just like hook up my, my paint <laughs> setup. And that's, that's how kind of I use my ventilation. And well, how did you, what, what did, did you make your own ventilation system? Yeah, I just went, you know, to Menards and bought, you know, just kind of made my own booth. And um, I, I found these, um, I forgot what they're called. It's, called. it's called a can fan. And it's just like a duck fan. So I just, and it, but it pushes air. I mean, it's got pretty good air exchange. So I know it's clearing that room out, um, you know, a few times a day at least. So. Well, I had one kind of taking a couple steps back here. So you were saying about like how you have that artistic kind of calling in you. So do you looking back? Can you remember what came first for you, like the art thing or the fishing? Oh yeah, definitely probably the the art thing because I used to like, you know, it's like fifth grade. I used to draw these like comics in my notebook and show them to my buddies, <laughs> and like, and then they just begged me to do it like every week. And you know, I just I loved drawing comics and things like that. And I got into that for like quite a few years to where I had like all these notebooks full of comics and stuff like that. So I'd say definitely, um, you know, before, beforehand. I, I and you it. weren't, you weren't drawing fishing lures at the time. No, I wasn't. No. You know, I didn't start really, um, you know, maybe I was tying some flies here and there, but 
I wasn't yeah. using them. You know, I, I'd, I'd say the first year of tying flies, I wasn't actually fly fishing. I was just tying. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I wasn't actually fishing with them. Um, it's cool hearing that because that's kind of like how it's progressing for me. Like when I was little, like the first way I learned to fish was fly fishing. Like my old neighbor, he was kind of like my grandpa. He had me in the yard trying to hit a hula hoop with like a fly rod. <laughs> okay. And then he taught me to tie like wooly buggers and green weenies and like all kind of stupid like trout shit like that. <laughs> and now like being into muskie, that's like my next step. Like I want to build lures so bad. So that's like why I'm really fascinated with the whole idea of I don't have to have a thirty thousand dollar wood shop and like uh, like yeah. a planer and drill per like all these crazy things like i can get a 3d printer and make lures like that's, I mean, that fascinates me so the tools you can use even for beginners um you know they have open source software for 3d modeling called blender and you want to talk about like tutorials go to youtube and it's loaded i mean you can be you know, beginner to advance pretty quickly. Um, and that's what I did because I learned a new software because the software that I knew coming out of school uh, didn't really support what I wanted to do with the lure. So I'd kind of learn another software to, to do the kind of modeling I wanted to do. But anyway, with the blender is you can, you don't even need to know really much about, as you and I've talked about, you can scan objects or you can actually even sculpt them. Um, and they got all kinds of crazy tools to sculpt it. They even have VR tools they can sculpt. What do you mean? But, you can put a VR headset on and it's like clay, like you, like you have clay in front of you wow. and mold up a shape and smooth it and you got yourself a model. That sounds like something Sebastian needs, Owen. Yeah, I know. Did. Like, I mean, okay. what VR headset? Oh, I mean, my son has an Oculus. I mean, does that... Like, I imagine that would, that would suffice yeah, for some of those modeling, sculpting programs. It's so like, amazing. Strata 3D, I think, does it. Strata 3D has one of, one of the add-ons that allows you to VR sculpt. Well, one of the things that I'm proud of, I guess, as a as a parent is that, you know, I'm not necessarily sending my kids to sport camps, but my kids are going to every summer they go to like basically computer camp at CMU here in Pittsburgh. Um, and this year, my son wants to do a 3D printing He wants his week to be on 3D printing. And it's there's a it's I think. I'm pretty sure it comes with a take-home 3D printer. Like you, part, part of the, I mean, it's it's not cheap. You know, I mean, the the pro, the program itself that they charge you for the 3D printer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like yeah, you get a take-home 3D printer, but it's it's all in the upfront. <laughs> no, ain't nobody losing money on it. I guarantee no. on that end. But uh, I'm I'm kind of excited for him to to learn that type of stuff because that's where the world is going, man. Like it's if you don't Owen's, if you don't Owen's gonna be over his shoulder. I want to get Brad and Greg Nimmer in a room together. You'll have Brad in his 3D headset sculpting lures and VR. And Nimmer and with Greg, his tomahawk Greg chop. Yeah. Greg Nimmer with his hatchet hacking away at wood. That's like the two opposite ends of the... I want them to meet. I will say America. it's way harder to lose a finger with a 3D printer. You know, I actually... I almost did lose a finger. Because <laughs> those stepper motors... They have crash detection, but I question like how much force it takes before that that, that actually mm -hmm. kicks in. Because I've seen it almost like take me out a few times. I'm like, man, I've what? almost crushed fingers on a vinyl. My vinyl cutter has a stepper motor, <laughs> cutter plotter machine. If you get your finger the there, it, it it yeah, it doesn't always stop. Yeah, yeah, it scares the hell out of me because sometimes your prints will lift off the bed, and your print head will just like jam into just it, around. And, and then it'll it'll. Uh, you know, craft detection on your computer will start flashing. <laughs> so the bait that that like the the first really I guess 
I don't know if like you kind of, it was never like made retail, but I know I, you sent me two and I believe Tom, I think you, you sent Tom one or two. I have a couple. What was like the, like your original boiler, like your very first model of the boiler maker. Right. So I I guess I'm kind of jumping, sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. No, that's all right, dude. We're all jumping all over the place. That's kind of how this goes. (laughs) That's how it goes. If Owen doesn't keep us in track, we just jump all over. I was going to say, you know, I actually got into making musky lures with bucktails. And because my first time out, again, I was using that little blue-black grub with my buddy Dave. And then the next time I went out, I had a modified, I think it was a, um, a cow, not a cow, a, a baby girl, whoever makes those. Um, uh, mayhem. Musky mayhem. Musky mayhem, yeah. Yeah, so I, I had one of those, and I was like, I'm going to powder coat these blades because they're just straight nickel. And so I reshafted it and powder coated the blades to like a black and yellow. It's actually in here. Um, to a black and yellow and um, put a different skirt on it to match the blades. So I put a, sorry. So I, I wanted to match the blades with the black and yellow. This actually take my word for it. Um, Anyway, so I took the bucktail out um, and caught a muskie on it, and I have that on film too. And that was so that was the first muskie I caught on my own lure. Uh, was that on a bucktail? And it was like forty-five degree water temps. Like you wouldn't think. Wow. Yeah, that's not exactly bucktail. Would, yeah, you wouldn't think the bucktail bite would be out, but nothing else was working. And you know, it was my lure that I made that I was like, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, it'd be so cool to catch a fish on this. And so I just that's what I really like about those boiler ones. You can run them a little slower. Yeah, exactly. The bucktail. And so, okay, so I'll get into that, that lure now. So, okay, so I made the bucktail, caught, caught my first muskie off my own lure, and I was, you know, excited. And then, of course, I get the 3D printer, and then one of my first designs, I think if you go to my Instagram, is like a hard body looking bucktail thing. Um, I, I took this shape and just basically put a straight hole through it that you can put a wire shaft. I don't even think I put a hanger on it for a hook. And so I just made, basically made like a single flute bucktail with it and it worked. And then I'm like, okay, my next one's going to be a little bit more robust. So I started sizing them up to like musky size. And, um, it was funny, you know, I, I started sharing like the work with, um, the lure warehouse that I get all my parts and they got all excited about it and they were showing it on their social media. And so that kind of got me excited too. And just kept running with it. And before I knew it, I, I had this crazy two weeks on this river with this lure and I, and it's, it was this purple pattern that I put these um, twin uh, number six blades on. And it was, so it was like a black and purple with six blades. And I think got tore up in two weeks. The first time I took it out within the first hour, it got bent in half that top wire just went 90. And I took a picture of it, of course, and I shared it on Instagram. I was like, that didn't take long. And bent the wire back straight up and kept going. And um, I don't think I landed many musky, but I, I had a lot of encounters and it was just really, really exciting. And, uh, you know, just ended up doing a fundraiser with it for somebody in need and um, got a lot of traction, a lot of comments and feedback, people liking it and started sharing it with other people. And it's been, when you say, when you say you like you did a fundraiser, like you, from that bait that you put you 3d printed a, a different one and you you sold it for as a fundraiser i did 12 um so yeah that first year i was making those you know i was handing them out to certain people um on yeah. instagram and and uh towards the end of the year you know a friend of mine um 
you know, I had a, had a daughter with a birth defect. And so we, we did a fundraiser. And what was cool about that was, I, you know, I did the fundraiser. Um, I don't know if I should be mentioning names. So that's what I'm kind of just kind of, I don't know if I should mention names or not. So it's all right. Okay. Um, so I did the fundraiser and it snowballed other bait makers got in with it. And so it, it ended up being like, you know, my 12 baits, I think we did the raffles and they went for like a hundred allure. It, but those other guys that threw in, um, it went up to like six or five or six thousand dollars. It was incredible. Nice. Oh, and, and so, awesome. I mean, I just told you how that community is. I mean, um, there are a lot of good guys. Um, and, and okay, the so that's, Ryan so that's first... that auction. Ryan Reed's a series. If he knew there were musky lures for sale, he would have spent some money for you. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't normally sell them. But... I've actually never sold a lure. Um, period besides that's the question i was coming to next was like you found you found some success in terms of you know people obviously want you know are interested in what you're doing i'm sure you get a million questions on instagram i mean i can't imagine how many questions you get yeah but you found some success and you have not gone you know you've not sold out so to speak and like you know gone commercial you know you've (laughs) you have yet to you have yet to sell a bait yeah, you know, a lot of that comes out of, you know, fear of many things. One, you know, I, I have a day job. So, you know, I'm working pretty decent hours there. And I don't want to be in my basement all the time. I, mean, I want to fit, you know, go out and fish and have fun. But at the same time, you know, I love, I love giving things away and, you know, making other people happy and seeing success. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of selective on, you know, who I give lures out to uh, the reason why I don't sell them is because um, you know, these are still in testing and you know, m- most of my lures, if not, I think only a few of them aren't, they're all through wire. So, you know, I always keep in mind that if something goes wrong or malfunctions that, you know, the fish isn't going to swim off with the hook in its mouth. So I'm always usually aware of, um, you know, keeping my lures, you know, fish safe, I guess you could say um, to some degree, but yeah, I just don't charge out of fear that someone's going to like buy a lure and just like it, the plastic's going to warp or it's going to snap in half or something. And um, So how do you do it through wire if you're 3D printing? Uh, good question. So there's a you know, co- couple ways you can do it. Uh, I'm experimenting with different ways. I do it like, you know, straight down the middle. So you just do two halves. So you print the flat, two, two, okay. flat side on the surface. The good thing about that is you kind of get the best um, structural integrity of the print because your print lines are actually going the length of the bait versus if you're printing straight up a bait straight up and down, um, it, the print lines are going to be running in a way that you could just vertically and it would snap. Yeah. Right now, this would just kind of bend. You wouldn't break this. This would just be bendy. Um, it would break if you shat, you know, enough force, it would actually shatter, but um you can take a hammer to this thing and it won't bend it. I mean, it, it, these things are really robust where it gets, it gets weak as even like, prior to clear coat or does like the, the epoxy and clear coat, does that add oh, to the strength of the strength? Well, uh, some designs are so strong that, yeah, I can take a hammer to it and it doesn't even dent them. Like I've made this chatter bait, this glide bait, uh, besides the fins on the glide bait, you, you can break those with the hammer, but it's because of the infill properties. I use like 80% infill on those lures. And so it's, you know, it's using a lot more plastic material and a lot more structure inside that they're supported. Um, they're supporting the shell. Uh, and there's different ways you can do that too, that to make your lure stronger. You can just make your shell thicker and you know, your bait hollow 
or you can add, you know, grid lines inside your print, which is your infill, and that goes throughout your whole lure. Um, so there's different ways that you can design it. Um, you know, I, I go infill straight through the lure because I think that that gives you more options for, for strength, really. When you say infill, what do you mean by that? Uh, the infill is kind of like, uh, so if you think of like a wooden bait, everything inside of it is the infill, right? So it's all wooden infill, right? Right. Um, so with the plastic, you kind of tell it how much plastic you want inside of the loop. Which is crazy. I don't mean to cut you off, Brad, but I've he sent me some like screenshots of this infill stuff. And it's not just like solid plastic. It's like a very detailed grid kind of, it's, it's wild. It, it's insane looking. Like almost yeah. like plastic rebar in ways. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's strong. I mean, again, you're, you want your shell thickness to be strong, but it, as long as you have a, you know, at least I'd say a ten, eight to 10% infill, you're going to have a pretty strong lure, but this is what's interesting. When you think about wooden lures and then you think about 3d printing, when you have a wooden lure, it's at its most buoyant when you don't have anything on it. Right. So you have your wooden shape, you have your wooden lure, there's no hardware on it, no lip. It's at its most strength at that point. Would you agree? I mean, can we run with that? It's, 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 it's got its most structural integrity at that point, I would say, because, because you're going to either cut it in half or you're going to be drilling into it or whatever to get the lips and everything you're taking away buoyancy at that point. So wooden lures, you're taking away buoyancy to get that lure kind of right to where you want it. And with 3d printing, when the lure is at its most buoyancy, it's its weakest because you're not using a whole lot of plastic. And so Mm -hmm. you're kind of building it. I don't know if I'm really explaining it right. You're kind no, of no, no, no. That makes no, buoyancy. Sense. Okay, yeah. so buoyancy was one of my highlights of, of a question I had is how do you control the buoyancy? Because you'd have to control the buoyancy in some way by controlling the density, right? Yeah, and, and certain lures really depend on buoyancy. Uh, you know, glide baits, not so much. Well, I'm, I'm playing around with glide baits, but... I would think glide baits buoyancy would be incredibly important. You oh, either okay. want one that's going to sink or, you know... Right, Okay. Right. I guess what I was saying in terms of action, right? Whether if it like, you know, it suspends or sinks fast, it's still going to walk, right? right. For, like, for like crankbaits and, and those type of lures, it's if you take enough buoyancy out of that lure, you're, you're taking some action out of it. Um, it seems like to me, in my findings at least, because yeah. um, you don't have that upward force mm-hmm. in that lure. I get that completely. Yeah, so you're kind of taken away from your options of action. And you're kind of having to mess with your weighting at that point and your, you know, whatever other positions you need to make. And so that's what's, that's the tricky part for me is because I want to make a lure super buoyant in 3D printing, uh, at least my crankbaits, and then work with it to strengthen it and get all my hardware in it and still keep it at that, you know, buoyancy to where it still has its action. A lot right, of if you just made a, if you just made a solid, like if you just made a solid 3D printed bait that you're, you know, I know our listeners can't see what you're holding in your hand, oh, yeah. but you know, okay it would sink like a rock that's that answers the question but, it, but it'll be its strongest that's strongest right. yeah. obviously yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then and then on the other end of the spectrum if it was super buoyant it's going to be at its and it's very lightest and it's it, that means yes. it's that it's a structural weakest yeah. right Right, right. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. I'm thinking like a super shad versus like Nick likes to bust on shallow raiders, like a shallow raider that's <laughs> taken on water doesn't have Garbage. a yeah. 20th of the action that like a super shad does because of that right. upward force. Like that buoyancy is like what creates that action on those cranks. What did uh, you, a lot of them, yeah. 
Yep. Nick, what did you call that? Uh, garbage. Okay. That's to, <laughs> <laughs> to make sure we fit that in there. Yeah. We don't we don't need to get it on too far of a detour. Here's a question for you. Do you have do you ever like mess around with like modeling programs to see like uh, oh, yeah. that buoyancy the buoyancy factors? Oh stuff? no, yeah. So to, so actual like AutoCAD programs, you can do that. And I see I'm I got into animating before modeling. Okay. So I used like you know Maya 3D, Strata CD 3X, and a lot of a lot of those type of softwares that aren't really made for they're meant for modeling, but not like precision models. Right. They're like there's not a whole lot of measurement tools to use, especially in Maya. Yeah. It's it's really hard to dial it down. So yeah, well, I would be more efficient and more accurate at what I do if I were to actually learn a CAD program, but they're just already have like licenses for these and already know how to use them. It'd just be another learning curve for me and I'd have to stop everything. And, and you know, yeah, so. I just wasn't sure if there was a, a program that would let you model that. Yeah. I, kinda... I saw somebody using one and it was fusion. I think it was called, um, Fusion 3D or something like that. Um, it was some AutoCAD program, but it let them assign a material, um, whether it be like steel or, you know, lead. Yeah. And it would tell them actually like the weight of it. And the good thing about 3D printing is when I take this, actually my print to my slicer program, it does tell me the weight in grams. Right. So, but that's outside of the modeling. That's when I'm ready to export it out to print. Um, but there are programs that you can assign material to and it'll tell you the weight you know, whatever other information it, it'll give you. Um, this program, though, not to get like too far ahead, because I know I do want to talk about this a little, but like you started doing that lore catalog kind of thing. Like that program has to run like a universal format that most people were able to like download and use, right? Uh, which one was this? I don't know. I remember you, you posted like a couple lures, like the, in like a catalog kind of deal. Like, is that like a file you could like download and print yourself? Like if you had oh. the proper. Was it that like animation page or like shopping page? Deal? I think so. Yeah, it was like a like a three D view of the lore, or you can't like download that or. Oh, you're talking about the the Sketchfab stuff. Yeah, 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 yep, yep. yeah. Um, so that one's actually kind of cool. I don't know if you can download those models. So if I like, are you talking about if you want to download them and print them? Yeah, like if I like well, that was what kind of I don't want to get too far ahead, but like that was oh no, you're fine. Was going down the road is like. Is that like something in the future that could happen? Like a database of like, say, I'm like, oh, I really like Brad's lore. I want to download and print it to like my own 3D printer. And then like I pay Brad $10, I download his file and I like make Brad's lore. Like, is that? Um, I'm going to make, I'm going to make some of them actually available on this website. It's called Thingiverse. And okay. it's, it's great because it, it, you know, copyrights your stuff. Um, you, you can actually choose the type of, um, you know, license you want to, you want to do for your your object so you can say if somebody wants to run commercial they can or if it's just you know individual self-use you can set that and um somehow it will hold them liable to it i don't know it may just give you a warm fuzzy feeling that someone will do something someday but <laughs> I, I was gonna upload a bunch of prints to there and just let people play around with them um because i have a website too it's just traffic doesn't go there um it wouldn't get seen unless i would probably put it on a website like that but yeah the sketchfab that is more for like companies that want to, or individuals that want to buy 3d models. 
you know, whether that be. And that's like a universal file format. Cause like I keep going back to my like vinyl plotter. Like if I want to cut a sticker, it's like a certain, so, like a dot SVG or dot. Yeah. Like is that. It, it, I think if you were to download it from Sketchfab, it'd give you like a, a universal format, like an OBJ. Okay. And you could make a lure from it, but you'd have to, if you were to use my Sketchfab models, you would have to do some modeling still because okay. not, the wiring and that. everything's not there. Yeah. That's just, a, um, yeah, I just made that just for graphics and fun, but you can augment those. I thought that was kind of cool. So if you get the Sketchfab app and you get it on your phone and you go to, uh, you know, all inclusive Angler and, you open up one of those models you can augment it on your desk and it'll show sure. up and you can see the size of it and kind of that's crazy around. yeah it's pretty good or if you have the oculus you know I guess yeah. <laughs> but you wouldn't even have to have a phone you'd just be looking through that and it'd just be on your desk and that's i know that's probably too fancy but i just thought that was neat this conversation is is crazy interesting to me but it's really like it's really it's, it's also very weird for me too because I work for an engineering firm. Yeah, you're the so, IT guy. This should be right. <laughs> so I'm I'm hearing all of these like uh, buzzwords like Autodesk and AutoCAD, and I'm like, part of me is like cringing because I know I have to go to work tomorrow and deal with all that <laughs> stuff. But the other like the other thing is like as a musky fisherman, like this is this is crazy cool because you don't see a lot of guys that are like technologically inclined in the musky world. Like my just my opinion. I don't see that a lot. Like I can do, I can go to work and I can do anything from like routine service desk stuff all the way through network stuff in a given day, you know, and like troubleshooting AutoCAD and all that. Then I can come home and just immediately dive into my musky hunter magazine and not think about any of that. So I I know that's why I wanted to have Brad on because I see this as being like really the next frontier in terms of bait making, not only, I guess that kind of brings me to the next question. And I don't mean to cut Ryan off, but is this cheaper? Like, you know, is, is there. I had that too in my notes. Like, is that sustainable? Like, is that. Right. A... Like, Ryan has an IT background. Okay. He knows what he's doing. He, at least much more than I, or, or you know, certainly much more than I do. If Would it make sense for a guy like Ryan or anybody? to to say all right i want to mess around and make my own 3d baits but i don't necessarily have the skills to design them from scratch i'd kind of like to have my own 3d printer and be able to say oh this guy brad or this guy out up here has this design that that i can buy from him for you know, X amount of dollars and sign a contract that says that I'm not going to, you know, commercially produce it, but how would that be hard to do? It seems like that you still have all the internal, internal molding you st- I mean, the internal wiring, it just seems like a lot of, so, a, there's a lot more to it than just buying a design online and buying a 3d printer mm-hmm. and boom, there's a musky bait. So something I was thinking about, um, Cause actually that's something that I, something that I do professionally is um, instructional design. So that's like curriculum building, e-learning, um, adult learning theory, things like that. Um, so I, I, you know, instructional like materials is kind of like something I also enjoy doing. And I was thinking about starting on my YouTube channel, just instructional videos on start to finish on how to build it. So if you were to, you know, download my file um, and want to build that bait, 
you could just go directly to that link and it would take you from start to finish on the walkthrough on to get it even down to like what parts you need to order i'd even put that on there like lure parts on that you know by these um circuit bill lips part number whatever you know you just that's parts required right on the front of the video and, and you just run through the rest of it on how to assemble it sand it seal it coat it and uh you know do you so, have yeah. a YouTube channel right now? Uh, yeah, there's nothing on it because I can't settle on a, like an intro screen. It's been like four years. <laughs> Same thing with my website. Like I won't get anything started until I get that like intro finished. And it doesn't seem like it's ever going to get finished. So I'm just going to keep paying for the website and never use it. <laughs> it, was, it was funny you said about like parts required. Like that was one of the things I was thinking of. Like I think of goofy shit all day like that. And earlier I'm like, we're having Brad on. Like what's some weird stuff I could ask him? And I was thinking like... <laughs> In the year 2060, like if you want a like an ERC Hellhound, you go to the Hellhound website and you download the Hellhound file <laughs> and you print it off your Hellhound printer. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but then I'm yeah. thinking in my head, yeah. like, you'd need hook hangers, you'd need like the, yeah. uh, yep. the eyelets, like whatever. It's I feel like it, it, with some ironing out, that could be like a thing of the future. Like if I want a Phantom, I download it off the Phantom website and I don't, it doesn't have to ship. Like I print it. You know, so wild. The, the other thing I've been thinking about this whole time, which is why I asked like initially like a half an hour ago or longer, we talked about, I brought up price and skipped ahead like two hours into the conversation. Uh, <laughs> Owen's laughing at me. I, uh, <laughs> it's always like, for me, it's always like the, the ROI, like, where's my return on investment, right? Like I can go buy, well, pre 2020, I could go buy a piece of cedar for like 11 bucks. Now it's like $700 for a two by four, but you know, like I could go buy a piece of cedar, you know, an $80 order from Jan's Netcraft, And I don't know, it's what six, I don't, I don't even know six hours. You know, I could have a wooden crankbait hmm. you know, and, and all of this for probably, well, if you factor in, you know, maybe a bandsaw, 130 bucks, whatever you're going to pay on that for a cheap one. You know, I'm just like, I'm so curious. This is so interesting to me because when you think about the possibilities of all this, but a lot of it still like it does in the IT world boils down to return on investment. So that's the other thing is like, this is so wild to think about, but I'm also like in my mind, I'm like, I'm doing this, but now I'm like stressing about all the crap I got to go out and get and like understand yeah. <laughs> yeah you know you, i'm the same way and you know what i did is i bought out the whole warehouse meaning i bought everything like <laughs> i sampled every part in that cattle i'm not even kidding i i just did it i just went ahead and bought everything because i knew i was going to sample like just one pack and that's where i started with and i hung it all up on a bulletin board and then i just started from there <laughs> And I was just like, okay, I'll print a lure and maybe use these screw eyes or, you know, use a five, one wire as opposed to a four five. We'll try, you know, maybe a three, five next time, you know, just like you have all the tools and, at, you know, right there. And before that I was like making these and just being like, okay, what do I get next? You know, versus, okay, I have the warehouse right here. What do I need? <laughs> How do you prototype things? Like if you're, you know, how do you prototype things like lip angles and, you know, you, cause you have to print a whole, how long does it take to print a bait? Like if you wanted to, to, to go, if you were like, you oh, man, I, totally, like I totally screwed this up. Questions right there. I know. I'm sorry. I'm like my <laughs> lip angles. How long is a bait? With all this stuff. The it's just, I'm fascinated. It, yeah. The lip angle thing is actually intriguing to me too. Cause 
and there are some people again that are doing some crazy stuff with 3d printing and lures like never-ending project list you guys need to check him out he has this uh 3d printed design that has an like an allen wrench that on the head you can adjust the lip and i'm thinking you wow. know aside from that weight the added weight that would give to the lure aside from that what a great way to like you know test out different angles on your yeah. prototype um you know, you know otherwise yeah you'd have to make like five different versions with different angle slots and to print one of those depends of course on how much material you're printing and the size nozzle so i have i have two printers i got one with a you know larger diameter nozzle and as it, it's like a you know 0.6 millimeter i can do a glide bait like this in three hours on that nozzle it's like a hellhound size for people yeah. that can see it kind of like a yeah so that's puppy. Okay, and how much how much material is that, you know, costing you, plastic uh, think, wise? Yeah, it's like three dollars. Like wow. Okay. Three twenty. Um, so you got three dollars and you got three hours right there. That's not. Well, but three at hours. The same time, three that's hours, three on, hours. One, on one single bait. But he's also got three hours of the print time. He's not, you know, I mean, he doesn't have to hover over it for three hours. Right. Right. I assume. That's yeah, the so, ROI. So, so, yeah, well, well, me, that brings me, Brad, you have like cameras you said set up <laughs> to watch that, I think. Yeah, I got these microcomputers called, well, you probably know, um, Nick probably knows Raspberry Pis. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, Ryan. Pies. Sorry. Yeah, Ryan and Nick, uh, the IT guy. Um, yeah, I use um, two Raspberry Pis. Uh, they're dedicated to each printer. And Ryan's more into mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, so yeah it lets you like push files to it do firmware software updates things like that but yeah attach a camera to it look at it remotely can't you know just control your printer basically wow that is insane and that's cool opposed to standing at like a lathe for a half hour you know i mean that's... yeah yeah but i mean you get things that go wrong right so yeah. so i built that enclosure for my printers because before i just had my 3d printer on my desk okay and my filament was just absorbing moisture. And you're, that's what filament does. It's what is it, hydroscopic. It's, it's absorbing moisture all the time. And so you have to either put it through a dehydrator or you put it in a dry box. And so I built the dry box, but then I was like, well, how do I hover the dry box over my printers? Oh, I got to build an enclosure. So I went like six months projects, built my enclosure. And were all those faults that I was running into on my printer where my prints were like warping, I was getting stringing. I was getting missing layers. I was getting shifted layers. I was getting a bunch of ruined prints consistently went away. And it was because of that enclosure and, and kind of controlling that environment. I got ambient temperature inside that enclosure that's, you know, constant. And then I got the dry box sitting on top that's keeping that filament dry at all times. You were having problems with the consistency of the filament prior to get it to putting in all those different mods. Yeah, yeah, it was. So the ROI actually wasn't, too great at first when i was just printing um with the printer just sitting on my desk it was you know half the time i'd have to use a glue stick to get my prints just to stick on the bed so i'd have to take my bed off and wash it between prints and if i were to print multiple objects on the bed it would string between the objects so they all connect and i was getting all this weird stuff going on and i couldn't figure it out and i rebuilt my printer and i was still having and I, that's when i knew it was the filament and so i you know Put it through a dehydrator and, and kept it dry and i have almost no problems with that filament now 
So yeah, if you're going to get into 3D printing, I highly recommend investing in a dry box and, and um, kind of controlling that environment that it sits in, or you're going to run into probably a lot of issues. And how many baits can you run at a time? Is it one at a time, two at a time? Well, is, yeah. there, is there a capability well, of running like 12 at a time? Well, think about it. All right. So if I'm starting a print job and I'm printing six of them at once and something happens, power goes out, crash detection. You, you lose six. I could lose a 20 hour, 30 hour print. If you do one at a time, yeah, you're gonna have to run up and down the stairs. But of course, this is where people get print farms, right? They get like seven, 10 printers and they just run them in their basement and, you know, 10 rattle traps in two hours. Um, but yeah, anyway, I wouldn't do multiple objects on that because I've done that before um, and, it, and it doesn't go well. And to go back to your question on the through wire thing, you can, you can pause your prints so you could actually print and then pause it and your printer head will move off to the side and you can do whatever you want. Add BBs, add lead, add a wire, a hanger wire or, you know, whatever you want and then hit resume. But the problem is when that printer head gets back to that layer that it left, it doesn't give you a good adhesion and it's a real weak point and you can snap mm -hmm. it. So even because it's no longer because it's no longer melting yeah, at the yeah. time it's it's cooled yeah it's moving yeah away. yeah you, you've yeah you've 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 stopped the the yep. the natural melt okay now that man that's fascinating and way way above my my intelligence well, level well, you, yeah well you well, no, you just run into that because you notice these print lines in it and you're like huh i wonder if that's weak and then you just barely it just snaps on you but again once i got the enclosure and got that it, it kind of took care of that problem a little bit because again my ambient temperature is so um up um in that enclosure i, I don't remember it's like 99 degrees um it, it keeps things kind of hot and so i'm able to pause the prints a little bit better and i do that with those hard body bucktails so what happens is i'll print those and i'll and i'll tell it to stop at a certain point and then i'll put my drop hangers you know because you know how the you guys know what i'm talking about those hard body bucktails they have the yeah. drop hangers mm -hmm. for the hook uh, I'll put those in. And so if I have like a sheet of five that I'm doing at once and I'll put five of them in, I'll hit resume. And then it, it prints one full solid body. And I got that hook hanger. And then I just put a, a wire straight through that body and it's a through wire. Cause I'll, that's I'll, the cool thing. I don't, I don't want to interrupt you there, but that's like, I have one here in my hands. So yeah, yeah. The body is interchangeable. Like you can clip the wire, slide yeah. the body off, slide it onto a new wire, but that hook hanger is like printed into the body. Like it's if I spin the body, the hook hanger, you know what I mean? Exactly. And it's, and it's hooked onto that main shaft. That main shaft is actually going through that hanger. So it's, it's through wire. Essentially. Yeah. So you've made some crankbaits too. And, you know, at least a couple, at least one of them seemed to be Okay, yeah, like a super shad, like Tom just, just he made the. Uh, I don't know if it was because of me, but me and Brad got talking the one summer, and I'm like, dude, you have to make a not so super super shad, like yeah, baby brother that. to the super shad, and um, like in between a shad wrap and a super shad, and dude, he nailed it. I haven't got to throw much just because I haven't been like on the bites where I wanted them for, but they look deadly, like in the water, out of the water. It's they're yeah. good. That one kind of drove me mad because, again, when you're making with the 3D printing, you know, you want to make a lure strong, but with those little baits, they got to be, you know, to some degree buoyant still, mm -hmm. um, especially those little shad wrap things, because that lip doesn't give it much action at all. Like it's a real tight wobble. Yeah. 
And so that thing drove me mad because most of my versions that I was making would just sink and I wanted it just to kind of suspend float and it would just always sink. And so I'd always have to keep it making it just a little bit bigger and bigger. And I kind of dropped that one, but I'm going to, I'm going to go back to it and make a jointed version of it. That's through wire. Dude, I promise you it is not, you don't want to drop that one. That is the last year wasn't the year for it, but that bait is going to crush. Yeah. Okay. I still have the file and I still have, um, some some testers I, I didn't throw up much last year either we did have a follow on it it's First so nice out. like the he, he crushed like you know like the super shad the stupid shad it has that real subtle action like it looks like nothing in the water he i mean like he hit it perfect like it has not everyone's as, as, as well versed in the in the stupid shad action as utah oh, <laughs> i will i will say i do i am a believer. no i know what you mean <laughs> i'm a believer of the super shad oh i've seen tom work a, a shoot a super shad man He's he's a madman, that's for that's, sure. These have that same action, like they're they're kind of buoyant, so you can rip them down. They have like a real subtle wobble, float up a little, rip them down, and. and my, my buddy Dave, he uh, he was breaking up the ice last year on, on this lake, and the first section we fished, he threw that lure, and I made him a lemon head one, and he yeah. had one. Of, he had one of those follows. I think you got one too. Yeah, I got a lemon head. Just like that one, yeah. Um, he had one of those follows where that fish was like just cruising super fast under it, but he just kept going straight under the boat. Like there's no turn on the fish. He just was like, <laughs> so yeah, he, he didn't turn on it or anything, but eh, got some, it turned one head at least, but so Tom, how many Tom different his catches. What's, What's that? that? So Tom counts those as catches. Oh yeah. Well, I rub those <laughs> in Nick's belts. Yeah. Moved another one on a super shad this morning, yep. boys. <laughs> so, how many different baits do you have you done on a 3D printer so far, and how many have you caught muskies on? Yes, all right. I got most of them back here because again, I'm trying to build a new tackle box for this year, so I'm kind of just hanging up these um, and trying to improve them. So uh nothing on the top row surprisingly top row has been kind of a i have a you know a flat tail um i'm trying not to make a lot of noise here um so yeah i got a top water like stick bait and in like this flat tail thing and they work i mean you can walk it and the flat tail comes in and clanks and everything but you know just didn't use the lures a whole lot um just you know, when you make this many lures, I mean, you can't fish them all in one year. Well, that's right. No, no, no. And that's, that's exactly why, you know, what have you kind of found yourself moving towards, you know, if you, you make yeah. so many different ones, like, what are you into? You, do you like making the crankbaits? Do you like making the, you know, what, what do you, what do you prefer? So, you know, last year we didn't really get on chatterbaits. We did get on Twitch baits. Um, we did get on top water and not so much on crank baits and bucktails just really weren't and glide baits really weren't lures that were producing for us last year. It was mostly downsized lures, really. And so it just kind of depends like what the mood is, right? It's it's I take it, it's basically, you know, so we have a rattle trap bite coming up. So I've been working on a rattle trap. And when the rattle trap bites done, you know, it usually moves into like, I don't know, chatter baits and crank baits and things like that. So I'll start to work on those. And it's just like whatever, 
whatever lure is kind of like hot or seems like to be the pattern at the time, I'll, I'll start working on this. So, yeah. so I feel like I will get the better results and more testing in at that time that I take it out. So yeah, you know, flap tails again. So do you, so you kind of keep going like back to that original design? Like you'll go back to your original rattle trap design this year and say, all right, how can I tweak it? What yeah. modifications can I make? There's always something with all every lure up here that you guys see there's something that i don't like about and i and, and i don't know if i'll ever be happy with them <laughs> yeah i just I'm kind of very ocd i'll be like oh yeah. dude that looks sweet and i'll be like i can't send it to you i don't like it yet <laughs> i have like another three years in developing it. i gotta comment on this rattle trap thing because i am a huge rattlebait guy yeah yeah particularly in the winter and early spring um, but I saw that, uh, you did a video and I think Owen sent it to me earlier, this orange rattle yeah. trap you made. The lipless one. Yeah. That's a, that's a private video. So it's, that's not like on public YouTube. So that's, no. that was not for public, uh, you know, viewing, but we could certainly discuss it because I, I love that video, man. <laughs> well, I just wanted to comment, like it's, it's, it's just super hard to like make a bait and catch a muskie on it. it like my opinion it's just like not something that everybody does, but like particularly like making like you're printing your own rattle baits. Like that is one of the coolest <laughs> things I've ever heard of. And then I saw the footage from that fish and I was like, oh, my God, this is like amazing because. Yeah, that was that was an amazing catch. I have to say um, I just right. it's such a yeah. big deal that you can just print to me like the rattle bait like that is just something I use so much throughout the year it's just a very cool thing i just want to comment on that that's all oh, i appreciate that. that that's a hard design to get down like it really was because again i i had probably three or four versions of it and every version swam but i couldn't those cheap rattle traps man they have that crazy side to side like those little just blanks and my buddy dave wouldn't fish any of the rattle traps that i was making because he just kept going back to his two dollar whatever I, always works for me and he cost seven musky in one day to my one and I, mine got off and so that was last year so he, again i was i knew something was wrong with my bait at that time i needed to go back and do something even though i was excited i caught a musky or hooked one but after that day he caught seven i went back out and that's when i caught that 47 and um again on the same style rattle trap that i was using the day before and so i'm kind of torn and i'm like okay so it still catches you know, do I still mess with it? And I think I'll always tinker with stuff until I get, you know, get it running just the way I want to. Um, I see that bait pop sideways just for like a split second. I'm like, all right, redesign. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> yeah. You just ruined Ryan Reed's marriage. He's about to go buy a 3D printer and do wow. nothing. Dude, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm like watching, I'm watching Ryan's eyes and I'm seeing like yeah. the dollar sign. He's on. Like, <laughs> like he has, how much he has this thing's going to cost. I have to build an enclosure. I have to do a dry box. I have to do this. <laughs> uh -huh. But if I do all these things, I can print myself all of these baits that I currently <laughs> spend all this money on. I, uh, yeah. so I, I think this is very cool, but <laughs> I am also like in love with cedar. Like I love the smell of cedar. I love working with cedar. It's going to yep. be hard to get me to move Sir Galashad to anything other than cedar. Yeah. I, I respect those wood baits a lot. Cause it, I, 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 I've never made one like to that quality that I've seen other bait makers do. And I can't imagine it's easier to do than what I do at 3d printing. No, that's like, 
it's pretty it's kind of like a good segue i wanted to ask you too like we talk a lot about wood versus 3d printing now where would you uh draw it up with like injection molding like we we have some buddies that injection mold plastic for baits would you say that's like simpler quicker more complex like where I mean, I don't know if you you've seen anybody injection mold a bait before, like yeah, I I have. Are you talking like the hard plastic injection? Yeah, yeah, like a hard plastic injection mold. Yeah, well, yeah, you're gonna get a stronger plastic for sure. If I were to honestly, any of these designs, if I were gonna take them, um, you know, to public and sell them, I, I would look into doing that. I don't know if I would three yeah. D print them and sell them. I, I you know, I'm doing a lot of rapid prototyping. I feel like with my printer, but you know, there's just always that what if i guess factor you know because you know some baits will warp and i don't know why like some of these rattle traps i have one that warped i have this deep diver right here this guy warped but i got some of these baits right here that i've had for four years and in the water more than the others and they've not warped perfectly symmetrical so i still got a lot of you know figuring out to do especially with the seal coat that i just got so it's just like yeah, I would probably go with a hard plastic ejection if I were to try to, you know. That's that's like, oil. that's an interesting point too, because I was thinking, I kind of mentioned it before, like sustainability of like, would there be a, a, like a 3D printed lore company, you know, like Hedden or Rapala versus, oh. or, or does that niche, is that more of like a prototyping thing? Is that like faster to prototype mm -hmm. a lore on a 3D printer than it is to produce like 100,000 of them, you know? Like where, where does that's that- That's kind of how it? I-, I that's exactly how I kind of think of it is in the, tell me if I'm wrong here, Brad, it, it, I think that it would make a lot more sense to be able to 3d print all the prototypes and to be able to create the mold to then super rapid inject and, you know, pr yeah. mass produce, whatever this bait's going to be. Yeah. But you know, it's, it, if it's going to take you three hours to 3d print one bait and yeah, you don't have to stand over it and you don't have to, do anything but we all know how crazy it can be when like you you know you hit you know you you, you turn on the oven and you just have to wait you know it, it's like that's not exactly what you want and to wait on every single bait so would that be more do you see it more as a prototyping thing or like a real mass production like i'm gonna have 10 different you know of these machines and i can make it work financially to make it profitable you can make it work. And I, and I think, you know, you can make it work and still have a good reputation, right? You wouldn't be known as the guy who makes baits that, you know, break and warp. You'd, you'd have to like, again, spec out your material. I would seriously consider printing with ABS if I were to sell, because um, I know that's going to handle, like if somebody leaves that lure in the car, the ABS is going to handle it's not that. not going to yeah, it's gonna handle a lot better. Oh, dude, I found that I the first year I had my boat, I left baits in my, uh, you know, just in inside the boat, and I had a number of of baits that warped. Yeah, yeah, and, and they might still because you know it can get pretty hot in there, but it's just like, and if it was through wire again, I'd feel comfortable. And then if you gave, you know, customer, you know satisfaction you know you, you replace it or you know give them a discount right. so when you just do your customer service deal you could probably again make it make a good name of it and and make some money i think definitely or is there something more in the intellectual property of the design like ryan was saying if he if he bought a 3d printer and had everything that he needed to 
you know, to print baits. I mean, to make baits. Mm -hmm. But he just needs the designs. Uh, I mean, for for instance, I have pretty much everything in my shop. I've got all the wire. I've got all the split rings. I've got all the hooks. I've got, you know, damn near everything you could want. But I couldn't 3D print a bait. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, again, if you go to... So there are some websites, again, like thingiverse.com. They have a lot of fishing lures on there um, that designers have made and you can download and you can still tweak them. Um, and if you brought them into another program like Mudbox or Maya, you could still sculpt off of it and make something based off of that model. So you could have a you know model template. It's really not the best way to go about creating new geometry, but you could do it. Um, or, yeah, work with somebody that can 3D. Because really 3D, if you, if, if you worked with somebody that could 3D model, making a lure two hours so you, you know you and of course maintenance every every little change that you would want they might charge you but um you know if i were to make my lures available and people were just downloading them to make them for themselves or friends i wouldn't charge them anything to download that file and i just have a blast seeing people make stuff from you know something I'm well i mean i think that's in today's day and age you someone would have to be very spec, you know, specifically set up to even be able to do that. Yeah. So exactly. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you would almost have to be able to send it to somebody that you knew was very was capable of producing that bait. Otherwise, yeah. it's worthless. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't expect somebody to get that bait or that design, make it, and then buy a farm, and then figure out how he's gonna like make this into a business. I wouldn't expect right. that. It'd have to be like somebody that's like on facebook group 3d printing and he already has a farm and he's already selling like you know whatever he's selling and you know pencil holders <laughs> so is that, are there thing. are there farms out there that are just like bootlegging stuff yeah so you get a lot of there are people out there or i guess you call them 3d farmers that that look for things that they can take and just print mass and um, sell you know it, it's it's weird. I mean, that's the other thing. If you want to talk about ROI, there's a lot of other things besides lures that um, you get your return on with those printers. Like, I mean, I've gotten a lot of return on other things, but for instance, there's one guy that's like making millions by printing um, flags for mailboxes. Those little plastic flags. I guess you can't buy those. Yeah. So some guy 3D printed and that's all, he, that's his job. Like that's all that guy does is just print mailbox flags. So if you're a musky guy, and you want to <laughs> it pays some, for know, the gig. Yeah, yeah, just run your farm, print some uh, flags and go fishing. And you're making money while you're out fishing. Right? My neighbor prints these things. It's like he takes a photo and then he'll make like a topographical map of the photo and you put it in front of a nightlight. Yeah. And when you're yep. when you're looking at it without light coming through, it looks like nothing. It looks ridiculous. And then when you put a light behind it, it like shows the photo. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. People are selling those. I mean, yeah. if you go to Etsy you'll see designs that are ripped off of that Thingiverse website, like these little flexible slugs and people are selling them for 30 bucks on Etsy and people mm. are buying them. That's like, these were 30 bucks. Yep. Yeah. You'll and their sales are up like hundreds. And it's like, these guys are literally just grabbing this off of Thingiverse and printing it. And and now, how long would that take to print something like that? Like a, like a it, stupid nightlight, like photo or a... so again, that depends on your layer height and your size diameter of your nozzle. Right. So, okay. I have two printers. I have one with a small diameter nozzle, meaning I can do real fine. Tom's detail. got a small nozzle. I have a very <laughs> yep, yep, that's true. <laughs> Secrets out. 
<laughs> Sorry, oh, that was Tom. no that was no secret. <laughs> that was no secret. So that small nozzle, you know, it gets you'll you'll get real fine detail prints, but it takes longer. And yeah. and you get a larger diameter nozzle and it's pushing more filament out and you can do thicker layers and it actually gets you a, a stronger print because it's you know it's not as many layers and it's just more material that's pushing out. So yeah, so again, if you get like a 0.6 or eight millimeter, you know, diameter nozzle, it's gonna it's gonna push it out pretty quickly. Uh, like a so, base, like, like an hour, like two yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, like, like like two hours probably for like a base or something. When you when the general public hears about you know 3D printing houses and stuff like that, like what's the type, like what type of a nozzle, so to speak, is necessary for that type of, you know, for for a large scale 3D printing? They're doing that with like cement, right? The okay. Houses. Yeah. So they're they're 3D printing houses with like some sort of cement, but it's the same concept. It's this it's this big old just cement. just layering yeah cement on, a, on top of one another it's on an xyz axis and it's just moving around and just going your layers with that cement and uh it's pretty wild and uh, yeah they're doing that with a lot of stuff i mean if you think about those cnc machines they kind of do the same thing they don't i don't know if they operate on the same on the z or not but you know they cut metal and i've been looking actually into getting one of those and you know cut my own chatterbait blades and and things like that but that's another discussion yeah, so you you don't three D. I mean, you don't three D print blades or anything like that. No, I had I um, I tried doing like top water props with three D printed parts, and then I, I tried. To, yeah, I think it just it just smashes. So I I uh, started using these tallywhacker tails. They're called, and you can bend those and shape them into props. And that's actually what I did with this top water. I caught a forty. The so I'll tell you a story. And you guys are musky guys, so you'll believe me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm out on this lake with uh, my friend Dave, and I'm throwing a swim dog. And I, get, I have this, like, giant wave behind my lure, just massive. And it's a big musky following it, and we're both watching it. And we out of nowhere, I just see this giant head swallow this lure. I, the whole lure just disappeared in that fish's head. And I didn't feel the fish. I saw it. So I sight yanked, you know, I just like saw the lure go in his mouth. So I yanked on my pole. I never felt the fish. It came right out of his mouth, but it raked his teeth and just tore up that bait. And I was thinking that was a 50 inch fish at the time. because I just the size of its head. And so a year later, we go back on that same spot and I'm throwing this topwater lure first day throwing this topwater lure. And I've never caught a topwater fish or muskie on, on topwater. And we go back to that spot, same time of year, October, same spot, same time of year. And within probably 20 feet of where I saw that last fish and I'm throwing this top water behind the boat and I see it. And the lure was so far out. Like I could barely even see the lure cause I can hook these things. Like I can almost empty my whole braid throwing these things. So I like, I kind of like doing that sometimes just getting the long cast out there to see what, what I can cover. And I, I can see this fish like back, just come right out of the water next to my lure and just lunge and uh that was the i had so much line out when that fish hit um it took me forever to get it it seemed like forever to get it you know to the boat where we saw it but you know the, the fight was probably less than a minute but yeah that was a 47 inch central illinois muskie uh you know on my first topwater lure. And that, that was an amazing thing for me um and i never thought i was going to top that fish around here and then less than six months i got that 47 on that rattle trap so 
And then after that, it was pretty tough fishing for me last year, but had a few other big ones hit. How the rattle trap you're talking about, uh, is that what four, four inches? Yeah, it's, it's a small rattle trap. Yeah, it's not big at all. It's just a little, you know, people are throwing those big one ounces and I want to make one. I actually have one right here. This is, this is my first tester right here of a one ounce rattle trap. And you can see the size difference between these two. Um, and um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, the little one, I, I caught three musky last, last spring um, within, you know, the first month of ice out. We were just throwing rattle traps. so where do you see yourself going in terms of like it just you just want to keep making new stuff and experimenting and and pushing the envelope or at some point do you want to say hey these things are something i want to market um you know i'm just kind of feeling it out really right now because um again it's 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 something i enjoy doing and i've met some really really great people doing it and it's and that in itself is worth continuing um the other stuff is bonus for me really like if this ever does happen to you know people want to buy it and i can think of a feasible way of producing them right or i'm not overworking myself because i do have a day job um and i'd like to fish but yeah if i were to figure it out and I could share some of these creations with people and whatever delivery method that we could figure out that I could figure out, whether that be lure kits, you know, downloadable files, um, blank lures or finished lures, whatever it can be. I absolutely want to be able to share it. Um, cause I, I think it, it kind of sparks interest from a lot of different groups that maybe wouldn't have been interested in the sport and we can, you know, kind of kind of support it in, in another way i guess i mean i think ideally the the idea behind the 3d printing and the prototyping would be that if you could buy a system and print it yourself then hey i could make these things at home for you know if a guy like you dials it in and has the buoyancy has all the densities all you know everything you need to to make a a bait that is like a hellhound, you know, I think that would be really cool, but it sounds to me like we're still pretty far away from that being a realistic commercial. Um, like you can't make a viable, you can't viably offer that for people for like, let's say $50. There's no one, no one has the capabilities to even do that. There's not that market for it. If I'm if I'm In reading Bass the room, Pro correct. shops for like thirty bucks a pop. What the hellhounds? Yeah, just, yeah, like any. Yeah, but I mean, just anything like that. Yeah. I mean, could you could you you know, it, let's take any design, any of your favorite, like the grandma swim swim whiz perch bait whatever. Yeah. Let's say all of those were on open source, and all like you could go out and print that body at that density that would make it act in that certain way, you would still need the proper equipment to actually do it. Like, even if it was free, even, even if that was free to be able to make a, a 13 inch Jake or a, a grandma, whatever, 
you would still need the entire setup and the knowledge and the wherewithal to to do the internal uh you know the internal wiring to do all the harnessing i mean it, it it's there's so much more that goes into this stuff that i think people don't realize yeah. with with making baits yeah it, it's i mean you get to learn your tools to a degree like it's tribal knowledge really i mean you you learn all these little details about your tools and where to place it on a wire to get a certain bend and because you know, i hand bend all my wires i don't lay it out on a pegboard and sit there and everything is just by marker i lay, lay it on my my prints and i mark where i'm bending my wire and I make my bends with my hands it's probably not the best way of doing it it's just the way i do it and um yeah it's a skill absolutely wire bending is a skill i mean if you bend if you make too many mistakes and you gotta re-bend too many times you're just ruining your shaft and uh, right gotta start over and what's really tricky for me is like jointed crankbaits. So even my jointed crankbaits um, that I've been having a lot of success with are through wire still. And this, it, 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 that makes sense. I, that main wire that runs your tow line is actually one of the hinges. And that hinge has another wire that's looped that goes to that back hook, if that makes any sense. So it's, it's got this wire connection to where if that lure breaks, that fish isn't going to get off. That's another fear I have with jointed lures is the fish hitting that back hook and just ripping that whole back end of that, that lure off. Well, I would think any, any, I, I think of that when, when you look at any jointed musky bait. Yeah, I, I know, like I you're, know. You're yeah. only as good as that hardware is. At that yeah, point. yeah. But, but again, for like rattle traps, I think of, well, I don't have to worry about that as much because your hooks are going to bend out before, yeah. you, you know your tow line's going to be an issue or anything. That'll be like, like the that. first failure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not so much worried about, you know, through wire with like these little three inch lures, but the, with the larger ones I am, because, you know, sometimes those fish, you know, if you don't have your drag set, we'll, we'll try to rip their face off on it. <laughs> one of the ones I had written down was, do you think, I mean, this might be like a little weird one to put you on the spot, but do you think 3d printing could like solve any issues in the fishing world? I know we talked about one, like the, I forget what they're called. They're like a little harness to go. World hunger, your... Brad. Will it solve world hunger? Yeah. <laughs> solve world hunger with 3d printing. No, it, it was like a, like a little piece to go in your leader loop, like a support. I think it's called a thimble or something. Like we talked about something like that. Is there anything like 3D printed that you see that could like fix an issue in the like fishing world, like printing lips or printing anything in a bait, printing like rattle chambers, like whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could think of, well, for instance, I mean, I've 3D printed and or designed and printed these fly tiny tools. Um, so, you know, I remember that. Yeah, like the dubbing or the. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's a it's a hair stacker and it's yeah. a hair stacker, and you know a lot of the times you got to buy different size stackers. You know, I get different size packers, and I made it all in one, so I got different size adjustments, and I don't have to have twenty different ones to to you know use for large to small flies. Yeah, you know, mu you know musky flies. You know, I, I obviously you want to use longer deer hair fibers, and so you need larger, and you have a larger eye. Um, eyelid on your on your hooks so you need it need it to be big enough to fit over that so yeah i mean it's endless i mean it's whatever you can think of uh, and dream up of it's just yeah it, i just question 
how well will it hold up under the conditions yeah. and that's really my my approach right now is just kind of being cautious about that yeah i haven't had any failures though anything that i really haven't either and i've caught quite a few fish on like your the the boiler bucktails like i've yeah them on those and they, they hold up great and so this was one that I printed with this PLA glow in the dark and it, this was like one of my shad wrap patterns Ooh. and it was it, it, no paint. Okay. And it's through wire and the fish hammered it. I caught like, caught like six musky in, in, in one weekend on this thing. And again, no paint, it's just bone white and nothing broke until I hit, hit a rock um, fast cast into a rock and it, and it broke right under the lip, but it still ran. But those anyway. lips are 3d printed too right that's yeah like i mean yeah i mean they're tough tom that's loves cool. the durability of the original you know super shad yeah i love it yeah i gotta have you can see on my wall here i have a whole graveyard of the one <laughs> lips up there brad did you just break that lip off of that bait it was already broken okay. yeah <laughs> I was say, that would have been amazing timing. I thought I heard snap. Yeah. Uh, Gotta work on this one. Uh, it absolutely did. But again, it was already broke on one side. I just I just finished it off. He's like, you're pretty tough snap. I mean, pretty tough, yeah. snap. Like these these mini super shads. Like I, I was down at Stonewall. These guys know I was down there with a buddy like this spring and we were throwing them in real shallow water. I was banging them off rocks. Lips were holding up. I mean, it's it amazes me how you can print that in one piece. Cause I mean, when you make a wooden lure, you have your wooden lure and your plastic lip Yeah, and you're able yeah. to integrate that all into one piece without like a seam right there. That's just, it's, it's crazy to me. Yeah. And that's in the fact that you caught six muskies on it. So those things yeah. are holding up than an actual they, they do. super they do. shad. They're holding up better than a super shad. If you Nick Fiesler one off a bridge, I can't make any promise. If you bank shot one into your honey <laughs> hole, I can't make a promise, but I mean, they, to a fish, they hold up just fine. It's yeah. I, and, and the material is pretty tough on the lip. I mean, I, I took this thing to the place that I fished was like this real rocky river and, I was pulling it straight through rocks, man. And it was just bouncing right off it. And to the point where I thought I was going to just start taking away layers and chips on it, but it's not even dented. And this was P-Tag out of the lip. I used like a clear filament on the lip called P-Tag. It's not very clear though. So when you buy clear filament, it's not clear. It's just like, it's like a chalky white. Kind of, yeah. kind of hard to explain. But really cool. Yeah. So if I was if I was gonna ask like my girlfriend or someone for a gift card to get started 3D printing lures, like how much would I be in? Like a thousand bucks? Am I in? No, no. I wanted to get a printer and the filament and everything and out the door by the end of the week have a lure printed. How much am I in? Oh, it just depends. So if you buy like a cheap printer for 150 bucks to 400 bucks, you know you're gonna. You're not going to have as many features like the sensors that will, yeah. you know, that will make your job easier. That for like leveling, especially the cheaper printers, you have to do a ton of leveling with. Where Prusa, it automatically levels your bed before every print. So yeah, it, so those printers would cost you around um, seven fifty for the kit to build it, one thousand for one built, and then it comes with a roll of PLA and gummy bears. So you're all set. Bears? So yeah. So you're all set at that point. The only thing you'd have to get is just the models and you're you're all ready to print. Which I think is way cheaper in comparison to building your own wood shop to make your own wooden lures. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, for musky, I would think, you know, if you're trying to just whittle maybe little balsa wood baits, it would probably be on par, maybe. I'm not sure. Again, I don't have any woodworking tools or experience, so I can't really. <laughs> I think the the thing of it is, though, too, is like, I mean, I'll speak for myself here since I almost cut my my thumb clean off my hand. It's true. You know, like this, this just has a lot, a lot. There's a lot more there. You know, there's, this isn't me sitting in my living room, sanding wood into like a little box, you know, like trying to, you know, like this is, this is like a full on technology, like driven setup that could be very sustainable, you know, comparatively to like looking at wood, like even as a resource, like th this is something that's, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of facets here. So I think this is really, really interesting. And I think this is a very cool thing to see. And, and honestly, Brad, this is, this is impressive stuff, man. You're, you're an impressive person and I can tell you're super smart, but super driven to figure this stuff out. I mean, there's nobody that I know of that's doing this. No. And there might be some guys out there messing around with lures and stuff like that, but from a musky standpoint and the selection of lures that you're making, I mean, this is a very, very cool stuff that you got going on here. So Brad, that. like, can you give a little shout out? Like what, what do you want to plug in terms of uh, your Instagram is all inclusive angler, but what's the exact, uh, you know, hyphenation and whatnot of that? Um. <laughs> really that that so when i created that account it, it, it was really wasn't supposed to be really anything and i i really made it all inclusive angler because i had this youtube channel and i'm kind of going up on a different subject um i had a youtube channel called illinois fly fishing and i posted one video of me using a bait caster and i got a lot of crap for it so i was like <laughs> all right next time i create a social media account i'm gonna create something where i can post whatever the hell i want and nobody there can there you go Nobody can be disappointed by it. So it's like, oh, inclusive. It sounds good. It rolls off the tongue nice. And it, and it lines up with like AI. Because I was thinking about, you know, calling my lures AI lures. You know, all inclusive is AI. So it just kind of ties, not really ties into it, but just kind of goes with the theme. I was curious where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was kind of curious. I was like, does that really even make sense? Like, I always kind of go back to that. I'm just like, you yeah, know, just too late now. I already have an email. Already have a social media account up, and I uh, I feel like you could take some advice, and you're actually you might be your little you might be just a touch older than me, but take take some advice from an old man. You know, don't listen to anybody else's opinion when it comes <laughs> to social media. You do what you want to do and what makes you happy. Number one, and number two, I really honestly feel like you should pursue the YouTube stuff because. You know, even some oh, of yeah, like dude. graphic video, yeah. like, dude, you yeah. have to do it. It's people would love to see that. Like there's guys like that are in between like me that are kind of like nerdy tech tech guy, but I really just want to musky fish all the time. Like we'd eat that stuff up and it's, it's an interesting thing. I think people would really enjoy seeing that yeah. element of design. You know, and again, like, it goes right. back to this is not something that someone's just going to like steal your design, dude, because no one can like it, it takes so much specificity to yeah. even be able to execute that design. Yeah. So I, I agree, man. I, oh, dude, I would watch. I, I was fascinated by that short video you sent me just of, of you know, watching all the start to finish how you're manipulate. Yeah. How you manipulate 
hit it to, to create the cavity. And uh, dude, it's, I was fascinated by that. Yeah. Dude, you, yeah. you add that and then show footage of the fish that you're you catching on fish. Things, yeah. Dude, that is like, right. That is one of the best. That's different than anything anyone else yeah. is doing. Exactly. It is right. I mean, a lot of people are making their own baits. You can but tie flies like and printing kinda... all these different, all these different types of baits and catching fish on them. And not in, not in, you know, not in Canada, not in Minnesota. Like you're in Illinois catching <laughs> fish, you know? So it's yeah. not like you're, you're prime musky, you know, territory, so to speak. So I, I think there's a lot of impressive aspects to this. And I would love to, to see you expand into that, uh, that territory. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been an awesome journey and, you know, I have a lot of people obviously to thank cause you know, I, some of you, you guys on here, especially cause you've helped me test my lures. Um, Sam Gaza from SG angling. He's been helping me with my glide bait and he got a nice musky on it last year and a lot of pike. And, you know, my friend Dave Whitwood's been helping me test these things out. So it's, I've, I've had a lot of support and I guess the only thing that's been kind of holding me back from you getting, running with this and creating a channel and kind of sharing everything with everyone is me. Um, because I, I do, I have a lot of those situations or those stories where I, you know, like the video you saw where I can show modeling um, starting from a box to the finished, you know, 3d print 3d model of the lure and to where I'm printing it, right. painting it. And I can do it with this one. I can do it with that one. I can do it with that one. I can do it. Anyway, there's almost every lure right here I can make that video for and show a clip at the end of me catching a musky on it. That'd be so cool. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, man, I've really enjoyed picking your brain about this stuff. I mean, this has been a technical lesson, that's for sure, in terms of where where poss the possibility of musky fishing and bait making is going. And just, you know, if you really want to... I, I would say your knowledge of how baits act in the water is every bit as good as any wooden bait maker, because you've now tested it with how many different, you know, configurations of plastic baits, yeah. you know? So I think like you don't have a wood shop, so you don't, you know, you're not the guy that's testing wooden baits, but right. you certainly have, a, a baseline of how baits act in the water and now you can create baits based on what you've learned you know what i mean like and so you're in a whole different kind of territory to me yeah yeah it's just it's the rapid prototyping of it it's you know i could put out a design in a few hours i could model up one of these in just a few hours but i can make 10 variations of that in less than that so I, I could have, you know, my, my crankbait here modeled up and set up with where I want to place my hardware, my weight and my lip. It'd take me a minute to reconfigure that and export that. I was another model. I could have 10 different versions of that created within four hours of, from the start and then have it on the printer and have it done that evening and tested the next morning if I were just to super glue it um, together. So, yeah, it's just so Nick, thinking, Nick, yeah, when are we going to be when are you going to be asking for the musky hunks prototype? <laughs> I was, I was modeling a lure right before. Cause I actually got on an hour early for this. Cause I was just, I didn't know it, the zoom for the Eastern time. So I, I I'm actually almost done with this, like uh jointed deep diver. Um, we could call that. Ooh. The, Ooh. You, you just call Nick's attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could call that the, uh, 
musky hunk uh, edition. There you go. Well, <laughs> I, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, I, and I think based on everyone's participation here, that everyone has has enjoyed this. Uh, there's probably oh, yeah. could probably continue to go on for another two hours, but oh, yeah. we should probably cut it off at some point here and and call it a night. What do you guys think? So yeah, cool. I just uh, I I have one question. My my last question is for Owen. Are you gonna have any baits at Musky Max, or are we just gonna have a Musky Hunks booth with a sign and a couple of sweatshirts? Yeah, I'm gonna have baits. I'm gonna have baits. I'm gonna have a bunch of baits. Right. I, you know, um, I've been I've been busy painting, and you know, I'm I'm kind of torn on this whole thing. I told myself I wouldn't get go down the rabbit hole of painting blades again, and here I am so goddamn far down this rabbit hole it's it's ridiculous <laughs> do me a favor i'm enjoying it do yeah, me a favor are you putting out what's that how many baits are you gonna put out well you know that's the thing with bucktails is like you can have a million different combinations and you know i'm doing the flexible bucktails so i'm i'm you know i'm also doing spinner baits this year so I plan on having probably 150 baits um, for sale at Musky Max, and we'll see how that goes. I mean, dude, last year I sold, well, I mean, two years ago, I sold maybe like 35 baits, you know. So, I mean, taking 100 baits to Musky Max is, is extremely aggressive in my, I don't expect to sell all of those. But, you know, I plan on having basically, uh, I think I'm going to have like 12 of every colorway uh in you know like six bucktails and six spinner baits i don't know we'll see we'll see how it goes and i because i honestly don't know what people are looking for um you know it's been two years since any shows have happened so well it's going to be kind of a, a hit or miss type of thing but i'm looking forward to it i just want to see you should start going to shows with the 3d yeah. printer and that's a booth i would spend some time at if you had a 3d printer set up printing like absolutely a i'd be like oh that's why i was so into this podcast because that's the type of shit that like i think younger musky fishermen they see guys and we talk <clears> about you know local bait makers and i'm sure younger guys that are in high school college and they're like holy shit like there's all this technology that's out here how can it be applied to this type of thing and this is a, a, a good gateway into that i've i've loved this yep. maybe maybe uh maybe i should get something started like you guys are suggesting on the on the channel i think so i think so too. absolutely <laughs> we dra- like, we dragged our feet on the musky hunks podcast for probably a year now did you and uh finally pulled the trigger and look at where we are now guys do you well, ever think we would be here this is great. Huh? Dozens of viewers. <laughs> We're doing it. We're living the dream. It doesn't matter, Tom. Ten, tens, tens, tens of, of viewers. Listeners. Tens <laughs> of listeners. My, my thing has always been if we can help one person, it was worth doing this thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So that's how I look at that's how I look at YouTube. That's how I look at work every day. You know, if I can just do one thing during a day, it was a successful eight hours of work. Not all <laughs> heroes wear capes, Ryan. All right. Uh, one last thing. Show color for Big O's Bucktails is Baby Jab Pink. We're calling it Baby Jab. Baby Jab Pink. Yeah, that's right. Jab. Baby Jab Pink. So, Are we <laughs> good to uh, What do you guys think? Wrap this one up. We're yeah. good, Brad. Thank you Great very much. You, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Thanks for staying up late and getting on early and 
Yeah, yeah, no problem. I listened uh, to one of your podcasts uh, before while I was waiting too, and you guys do a great job. Great, good Thanks, content. Dude. I'll be listening Thank to you guys like while I work and stuff. Like, that's, that's good stuff. Thanks, we appreciate good, that. Good, man. We're really enjoying doing this, just having these discussions. Yeah, that's good stuff, guys. Thanks and for I coming on. Tonight, All right, Brad. Don, Don Sr. and Don Jr. get to listen since Don yeah. Jr. Don Jr. is right. diapers and. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Have a good night, brother. I had to shake him on my last case. Big O don't play.